Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. The intuitive part says, go and buy one. The rational part says, yeah, but, you know, the, it's going to cost you a lot of money. The, the incremental increases in the, it's actually not that much. You're going to have to justify it to Lorraine, my wife, should you really be doing it. So it's that constant back and forth. And I guess it, it's which one of those are you using to finally make the choice? What we found is that when people put items on a list and then come back to it later, they're less likely to buy it at time two than if we just gave them the decision at time one. We're not going on for an hour, are we? Uh, We are if we're talking about my research. Settle in. Ryan, I want to let you into a little secret, a really great question that I love asking customers. And I've learned to ask this question over the years because of many things that change. And the question is, has anything changed since the last time I spoke to you? It's a good question. I find it a really interesting question and good question because What I found back in the day was that, guess what? Customers change their minds. On many occasions, the danger is is that you don't sort of realize the basis that they're having, that they're coming from. So you've had a conversation with them two weeks ago. Everything's fine. You, You know, you assume that you're just continuing on with what you had before. And many times I've sort of got half an hour into a meeting with a client and they've suddenly gone, oh, yeah, but we had a meeting last week and this happened and you think, oh, okay. So that's, you know, coming now from left field. So I've learned over the years to to ask that question. Um, The reason I'm telling you all this is that today we're going to talk about why customers change their minds. Yeah, makes sense. It does, yes. Um, and I think that your question that you've you've learned to ask your clients points to the major direction we're going to take here, which is that you can't understand why people change their mind until you understand their minds and how things can change within them um, and, sure. and the influence of context and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm excited to dig into this. Yeah, and, and when you think about it, I mean, customers change their minds all over the place. I, I do frequently. No, I'm going to buy this. Oh no, I'm going to buy that, and I'm going to sign up for this. Oh no, maybe I, maybe I'm not. And there's a huge cost involved in all of that, etc. So, let's do our usual stuff. You start off telling telling us some of the theory behind this. I know we've both written a book on this subject, so this will be very informative to people, I'm sure. Yeah. So. The big important insight is that while we tend to think of our minds as unitary, we tend to think of ourselves as unitary, there's only one version of me, 
the reality is that we have multiple versions of ourselves that can become activated under different circumstances. So one of the, the major ones that, that was the topic of our book, and that's been discussed in, in a lot of places, is this distinction between what's called system one and system two thinking, or as we called it in our book, intuitive and rational thinking. So both your intuitive mind and your rational mind are you. They're still you, but they're two kind of different perspectives, different mindsets, different cognitive systems that we can apply to making a decision. Um, and it's, it's a really important distinction, but it's not the only one. There are all kinds of different kind of di- dichotomies within us. You can think about like abstract thinking versus concrete thinking. You can think about short-term thinking versus long-term thinking. Think about more emotional kind of hot cognition versus more more rational, cool cognition. Like there, are, you can think about d- different temporal perspectives, like thinking about me now versus thinking about me in the future. All of these are different versions of the self. So that, that's, that's one key insight. One of the ways of explaining why people change their minds is because they, they actually are different people at the two different points in time. And so if you've made a decision using one mindset or perspective, and then later you're looking at the same decision from a different mindset or perspective, then that could cause you to realize you don't like the decision you made previously and so change your mind. And this is where I think it's fascinating because clearly we we named the podcast The Intuitive Customer to sort of try to highlight some of this stuff. I think that where it's fascinating is when you're changing the mindset that you're making or the decision-making process that you're changing the mindset. So if you listen to what people say, what customers say, they say, I've been thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And what does that mean? It means they've been thinking about it. So it's then, well, what frame of reference, what frame of mindset are you coming at it from? Are you coming at it? And if we just go through that intuitive and rational bit for a moment, your intuitive system is always on. It's your gut reaction to things. Okay. Uh, you know, it's instant. It doesn't take any, any energy to make that decision. It's always there. And it's, a, it's an intuitive thought, gut reaction thought. Whereas the rational side, correct me if I'm wrong, is more of a logical, this is a logical process where you literally have to go, I'm thinking. So if I say to you, what's two and two, everyone goes four. Uh, if I said to you, what's 937,000 times 622,000, you would then have to think about it. Wouldn't it be cool if I could just like spat out a number though, as you said that? Like It would be. And I would have said, oh, is it? Because I wouldn't know whether it is or not. There, and I just, I realized that I, I couldn't. <laughs> the rational side is therefore you having to, to physically think about it. So the interesting part becomes the, the the juxtaposition between I'm changing the way of thinking, doesn't it? That's the issue, right? It's not a problem that we have multiple mindsets or, or approaches or perspectives. The problem is when you switch perspectives or mindsets from time one when you make the decision to time two when you reconsider the decision. So they've studied this in a number of different ways. I'll, I'll talk about just one or two experiments that I found interesting. One early experiment on this, I think this was run in the 1970s, if I recall correctly, they took undergraduate students and asked them to, as part of this experiment, choose a poster 
that they might take home with them to put on their wall or whatever. And so they had a selection of, I can't remember, six or seven posters. And one group of people just looked at the posters and then chose one and then took it home. The other group, though, they had them fill out a survey. And so they needed to like really analyze these posters. Like they had a, they had essentially to write kind of mini essays about these posters from all these different perspectives, like really think about it. So let's review at that point. So at time one, one group of people just looked at the posters and made a decision. That, that sounds like kind of an intuitive way of making that decision. Sure. Just kind of which poster grabs you, which one yeah. looks the best to you. Uh, the other group, they forced to make a more rational decision. And they really had to analyze the posters and think about what they meant and what they, um, all that kind of stuff. So they let them take the posters home and then they followed up with them a few weeks later. And they were interested to know, like, did you put it up on your wall? If you did, is it still on your wall? How much do you like it now? And what they found is that the second group ended up liking the posters less. They were less likely to put it on their wall. They were less likely to keep it up. Um, They didn't uh, rate them as highly. And the argument that they made is that the way that you kind of consume a poster, the way that you interact with a poster once it's on your wall, is mostly intuitive, right? Um, there are exceptions to that. I've got a, a, a poster on my wall that has like the birds of North America. Um, and I like to just sit there and stare at that sometimes and learn something uh, about various birds. So there are exceptions. There's some posters you might consume rationally. Most of the time, though, it's just, it's art. It's something that you pass by and it makes you feel good or or it doesn't. And so what they did is they forced this mismatch on that second group. So I was deciding very rationally about how, which poster I was going to choose. And then um, when I put it on my wall, I just, I, I didn't, I wasn't processing it in the same way. And so that group regretted their choice, right? They, they reconsidered, they changed their mind about how much they like the poster. Right? So when we've got this mismatch, um, that's where the issue comes, the mismatch between time one and time two. And I guess the second group that were looking at it more rationally, some of the, they were forced to look at some of the things that weren't very good about it. It wasn't that they evaluated it more poorly at time one. If I recall, some of the posters were kind of more artistic, just paintings and things, and some of them were more humorous. And what they found is that the group who was thinking about it more rationally were more likely to choose the the funny posters because that gave them like reasons for choosing like, Oh, I can see where this is very witty and, and, you know, it makes a point. But then once that's on your wall, you're not like reprocessing the humor every time you're passing by it. And so it wasn't giving the full effect. Whereas it, when, when you're evaluating intuitively, the fact that something feels pretty to you that like, that's enough. You get to feel that again and again, as you, as you walk by every morning. And again, for those that haven't heard us talk about this intuitive and rational before, I don't want to bore everybody. But one of the key parts here is that this is that sort of argument that you sometimes have in your head, don't you, between you making an intuitive decision and then the rational part of your brain turns around and says, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. So I don't know. I, I want to go and buy a new Apple phone. But you only got one last year, so do you actually, you know, are the, the intuitive part says go and buy one. The rational part says, yeah, but, you know, the, it's going to cost you a lot of money. The the incremental increases in the things are actually not that much. You're going to have to justify it to Lorraine, my wife, should you really be doing it. So it's that constant back and forth. And I guess it, it's which one of those are you using to finally make the choice? 
Yeah, so I actually have some research on this that we published a little while ago uh, where we looked at one specific context in which people sometimes change their mind. We ended up calling it these kind of decision delay tools. So that includes things like wish lists, uh, sometimes the way we use shopping baskets online, even like a physical list of things that you plan on buying, anything that kind of delays the decision. What we found is that when people put items on a list and then come back to it later, they're less likely to buy it at time two than if we just gave them the decision at time one. And so we ran this in a number of different ways, including with like real choices that people could actually get the thing that they they indicated they would be willing to buy. The explanation that we have is very similar to what you just said. When you're evaluating things at, at time one, you're considering some of these like like implementation things, like how much is it going to cost? You know, how hard is it going to be to deliver? How hard is it to be to set up? Sure. But you're also considering a lot of like the exciting things, like how cool does this look? Like how exciting would it be? What we found is that when you put it on a list and say, I'll come back and evaluate this later, a lot of those kind of exciting attributes have already been processed. And so when you come back to it, you focus a lot more on the logistical stuff, including price, including delivery and all those kinds of things. And that's a lot of times a less compelling reason to buy something. We argued that this is at least one potential reason for some shopping cart abandonment. Um, it's part of the reason that, you know, you see a high propensity of people like not pulling things back off of their wish lists uh, once they've cleared them. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes a hell of a lot of sense, actually, because I, I can I can think of occasions when I've done that. So, again, let's take a step back here. What we're discussing here is the reasons that customers are changing their mind. And we're talking about the differences between, therefore, the two modes. The key for me is and we'll carry on talk about this, but the key for me, I just want to get this in the listener's mind. The key for me is you need to understand which mode your customer is in and whereabouts in the journey they are. So you can, if you looked at your journey maps, when we look at a journey map, we would therefore be saying, and at this point, the customer is making an intuitive decision, okay? or they've got their intuitive hat on, tomorrow they're going to be making a more rational decision. So how, and therefore the danger is, is they're going to change their mind. And therefore, what is it we can do that would negate them changing their mind if that's what we wanted them not to do? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think the insight of tying this back to journey mapping is really great, right? So if, as we've argued before, if you're doing your journey map, appropriately, properly, then at each stage of the journey, you should have some insight into how your customer is thinking. Like, what are their mindsets? What are going to be important to them? What are they feeling emotionally? And, and among those things, as you said, if you can get some insight into the, the way that they're processing information or the way that they're making decisions, then that can help you identify these, these potential mindset switches that could cause people to regret the purchase that they made or to cancel a purchase, to return a purchase. Like So especially if you've got like a long sales cycle where somebody's going to meet with a salesperson and then they might meet with them again. And then later there's going to be a, another interaction. And then finally it's going to be like built and delivered. That's lots of opportunities for people to cancel. Are they changing mindsets from the early part of the sales process to the late part of the sales process? That's a real risk of people changing their, their minds. 
Colin, I've thought of a great new way for us to promote our podcast. Great. Let's hear it. Well, you know how celebrity magazines are always tracking what various celebrities are wearing around town? Well, what if we started a YouTube channel where our fans could see what we're wearing when we're recording these podcasts? They would know exactly what you're wearing, mate, because all you wear is a jacket with leather patches. That's it. I have a look. So did Steve Jobs. I'm a fashion icon, Colin. You can stop fighting it at any point in time. Listen, if our listeners would like to know what I'm wearing as we're recording this, please go over to YouTube. You can find us at the Intuitive Customer Podcast on YouTube or look for the link in the show notes. Let me give you a practical example of of that with a client that we did some work with. This is was a was a home improvements client, okay? And they used to go around to people's houses primarily in the evening because obviously people have been working and talk about their their product and service, etc. Okay. Let me just take a step back first of all. What we know is that the intuitive decision when you're making an intuitive decision, that doesn't take any any energy. When you're making a rational decision, that takes energy. So consequently, if you haven't got a lot of energy, okay, then you are likely to wane on the side of making an intuitive decision, okay? That doesn't mean to say when you get your energy back that you don't then suddenly go, well, hold on, did I make the right choice? And that was effectively what was happening here. So the customer, because it was late at night, the the sales guy was going around to the house and talking to the customer. The customer was going, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. And the problem that they had was the next morning, people were phoning in and basically going, hey, you know, person came around last night and we now want to cancel the order. Okay. And the key difference was, that in the evening they were tired, they'd been working, you know, the, the salesperson was in there measuring up for different things and they were making a making a decision primarily using their intuitive system. The next morning they were waking up going, oh, not sure if we'd really made the right choice there, not sure if we can really afford that and this is all there for the rational system coming in going, uh, now maybe we need to think about it a bit more, let's phone up and cancel the cancel the order so the so that as you can imagine a cost a lot of money but suddenly you think you've sold a load of things and you haven't basically so the issue becomes what is it you could do to prevent that happening or what is it that you could do to reinforce the decision that was made the night before when the customer was calling back does that give you a practical example yeah when you and i were on that engagement i got to visit someone's home with a salesperson and, and watch the way that they work. And the process was very intuitively compelling. They had the salesperson that I was with was a very skilled and very charming and friendly. And, and then the, the home improvement product was something that could really change the look of your home. And they had a very slick app so that they could like show display what everything looked like. And it was very exciting. And, and so, yeah, it was very intuitively appealing to make that decision. It was also a very expensive home improvement project. And so the idea that people might come back to it later and, and actually like really start to consider the budget and, and think about where that fits, this was a very real risk. And so, yeah, so we worked with them to 
to try to figure out, is there more evidence that you could leave behind so that when people return to this decision the next morning, you can now start to appeal more to the rational mind, focus on some of those nuts and bolts benefits about how that what this will do to the extend the life of your home and improve resale value and you know whatever those rational arguments are that if you led with those the night before they might not be very compelling but the next morning they might be more so yeah and the key difference that i want to labor is the difference in the decision making process based on resource availability absolutely So do you want to talk a bit about this whole thing of cognitive depletion, which sounds a really grand little title, doesn't it? Yes, it sounds very fancy. The basic idea is, is actually what you told in your story just now. The idea is that we have these different ways of thinking about things, these different cognitive systems or approaches, and some of them are more resource intensive in terms of cognitive resources than others. So some processes are very, very easy. Uh, They're fast, uh, automatic, intuitive, and some require more effort, cognitive effort, thinking about it. The basic idea is that we don't have limitless resources. If we're tired, if we're distracted, if we've already been doing a lot of hard cognitive work, if it's at the end of a long day, then we have fewer of these resources available to us. And that means that we're, we're less good at self-regulation. So there's a reason that we cheat on our diets at midnight and not at six in the morning. Sure. And then also that we're less willing to devote or less able to devote more resources to those additional decisions that we need to make. So this is one of the tools that you can use to try to figure out at each stage of the journey where your customers are likely to be. So if as you mentioned, if your salespeople primarily engage with people at the end of a long workday, it's pretty safe to assume that you're dealing with people who are cognitively depleted. Another engagement that you and I worked on was for a health insurer with their uh, phone bank, with their phone center, as people called in. And it wasn't until I listened to people calling into the phone center that I, I fully appreciated the only time you call in and talk to your health insurer is when something's gone terribly wrong in your life. Yeah, and um, you're stressed. And... Yeah, either you're sick or a loved one is sick. And often if you're calling in, there's a billing problem on top of that. And so they were dealing with people who were, were very stressed and stress depletes you cognitively. And so that company should anticipate we're, we're likely dealing with people who are processing things very emotionally, very intuitively. You can use kind of resource level as a pretty good proxy for figuring out part of this mindset question. Uh, If you're dealing with customers who are very distracted, very uh, emotionally wrought, frustrated, angry, people who are are at at the end of a long day, people who have just engaged in something that's cognitively taxing, under all those situations, anticipate your customers are going to be more in an intuitive mode. Yeah. And I, and I think that's important to, to, to then think about, because again, as you're, you're just talking about it, it was making me think of, you know, a parent at home with kids and all the kids are shouting around the place and you've got all of that, all of that distraction as well. So, an- so another I- bit of research that I did on this, this is turning into the Ryan Research Hour. Um, <laughs> I'm sure everybody wants to hear that. We're not going on for an hour, are we? Uh, we are, if we're talking about my research, settling <laughs> Another a paper that I wrote, we looked at my mindset switching. 
And we found that that is cognitively depleting. So if you're thinking about things in a very concrete way and then in an abstract way and then in a concrete way and then an abstract way, that that wears you down. And so essentially it was a paper that showed in a number of experiments that when we wear multiple hats throughout the day, that that's cognitively exhausting. And it's this act of like mentally switching gears. So yeah, especially like think about during COVID where we were on lockdown and people were working from home and their kids were at home. And you had these these poor working parents who were just switching back and forth between managing their kids, doing their schoolwork, and then back to writing emails and then back to the kids. So everybody was just exhausted, just depleted sure. uh, during and that. And the whole stress of the situation. Yeah, and, and the stress of it as well was also depleting. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that that sort of brings into the, uh, I guess, uh, an, another part of the the questions, doesn't it? Which is, so one is, you know, has anything changed since last time? But to a certain extent is also just, and I guess I do this intuitively, is in the preamble, just talking to the customer about how things going in terms of how's your personal life effectively? That's not the question you'd ask. But uh, it's surprising how in that first five or 10 minutes when you're going through that social bit of finding out what they're doing is is how stressed are things. The other part of it for me is that as we were preparing for this, it was making me think, so what's the reason that people change their minds? Well, it's it's certainly to do with the decision-making, but it's also to do with other information coming in, isn't it? So it could be that you go and talk to your boss and the boss turns around and says, oh, yeah, but have you thought about this? Or, you know, your budgets are cut or... It's that classic bit about you hadn't thought of one particular aspect that the customer is then making a decision on. So you need to understand that they're getting inputs from different places as well. Absolutely. Yeah. The mindset is mindset change is one cause. Information change is another, right? So it could be that even if I'm looking at this from the same perspective, if there's new information, if things have changed in the, the information context, that can also cause people to change their mind. What are the practical steps? What would you suggest that people do as we wind this up? Uh, Well, one practical bit of advice is to make sure your journey map is complete. Do you have all the different important stages in there? What people are doing in terms of decisions, in terms of information they're processing? And importantly, what mindsets do you think that they're in? We've talked a lot about Intuitive and rational, I think that's a great place to start. You don't need to limit yourself that to that, though. There are, there are lots of different ways people make decisions. I mentioned briefly, like if people are thinking about things abstractly or concretely or, or short-term perspective or long-term perspective, those can also be different mindsets that can change the way people make decisions as well. So look for those shifts and then plan for them. Like know that we to get in the door, we've got to convince them intuitively. But once we're inside, we know that we've got to also follow up with more rational appeals as well. And so plan that into your decision, your, your journey process. Yeah, absolutely. And when, when we do our customer journeys, we have what's the customer doing? We have the all those sort of rational aspects, what's the customer feeling? But also part of it was what decisions are they making? And how are they making them? And are there any signs of, is it late at night? Is it, have they got kids? Whatever it may be, basically. So building that into the customer journey, I think is a really important 
aspect of things, not just look at it from a that rational perspective, which is the traditional way of looking at things. I hope that's been of use. We hope your customers don't change their minds on, on you. And we hope that you don't change your mind on us. How about that for a link? And we look forward to uh, talking to you next week. Okay. Thanks very much, everyone. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.